Hi, I'm Claire Davis from Mental Health Chats, and we're here to encourage people to open up conversations about mental health. I'm Claire Davis with Mental Health Chats and I'm back for our new series on story of suicide. And today we're going to start off the series with Cara. Hello, Cara. How are you? Hi, I'm doing well. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thank you very much for joining us because Cara is going to go into um, her story with regards to honouring their memory, not the method. So first of all, before we start, we're, we planned, Cara and I, to do this series late February because we're coming into spring in the Northern Hemisphere. And I want people to be aware that the suicide rates go up in spring. Cara, do you know any reasons why the suicide rates go up in spring? Absolutely. I think the biggest one is the energized feeling that we get with spring, that spring fever of, oh, I feel better, I'm feeling hopeful. Um, for those that deal with depression through winter, this is where they finally have the energy to make a suicide attempt, which is really sad to have to admit that as soon as they have hope and energy, they actually are making those attempts in spring. That's really interesting. I hadn't thought of that before. And when we spoke about it, when we were planning for this, I, I, I got off our, our call and I thought, why didn't I ask Cara why? So thank you for explaining <laughs> that. And would yeah. you like to explain to everyone where you are, where you're you're from? Yes, I am calling in from Denver, Colorado, USA. So it's a big time difference. I appreciate us finding a time that we could have this conversation. It's an important one. Yeah, thank you very much. And thank you for, for planning this and being so open. So Cara, can you please just tell us briefly your story? Yeah, I mean, I think when I was preparing for this, Claire, I was going to go with my professional story because that feels the safest. But I think this is needing to be more of a heartfelt story. Um, so I will say that I'm a mental health therapist here in the U.S. And so I went through all the training and got into grad school and now I'm a licensed counselor. Um, but it took me, I would say, six years into the field to realize that suicide prevention was a part of my story which is kind of embarrassing to admit to you and your listeners of like, okay, therapist needs to be self-aware, working with other people on growth and trauma. And it took me a while to own that my story started with suicide in my family. And so um, now I'm able to tell people that I am a suicide loss survivor. And I have two family members who've died by suicide, both before I was 18 years old. Wow. And so that absolutely shapes, right? Like that shapes people, it shapes the family. And so for me, that's where my story really starts, but I didn't really have that realization until six years as a therapist, <laughs> for better or worse. Sometimes we don't when it's been a big trauma like this because we box it away somewhere in our brain yes. and then it's triggered by something and mm -hmm. then it comes out. So what I often hear with mental health is, but they were okay last year. Why, why are they upset about something that happened when they were a child now? Because they were okay last year. But what happens to our brain is we box this away and then it's triggered. So do remember with anything with regards to mental health, it can come out, the emotions can come out for some sort of memory. Is that right. something you would agree with, Cara? 
Yes, absolutely. I think, you know, especially as people do different parts of the journey and they do their own work, like we have more aha moments, as I call them, those epiphanies that puts the connection between different life events. And so for me, starting to embrace my work in suicide prevention, I kept getting the question, why are you doing this? Why are you doing this work? Mm. And that's when I had the epiphany of, oh, it's because of my uncle, the uncle I was closest to. And now I'm honoring his memory with some of the work I do now. Well done. Well done. So let's think about the pain. This was before you were 18, two people you were very, very close to. So the pain must be very, very deep and must come out. So what do you do to manage and help yourself through the pain? Well, I think you know, one of the driving factors as to why I became a therapist is I wanted to feel a sense of control. And I know for suicide loss survivors, that's the one thing we don't feel like we have is, oh, I couldn't control that they died. Maybe I had no idea that they were feeling this way. We have a lot of conversations about warning signs. And I know in the podcast you and I did before, that was a conversation we had. Mm -hmm. And in, in the case of the uncle I was closest to at 17, when he died, it was all the factors were there, but I didn't have the education, right? At 17, I had no idea what we were looking at. And he was isolating. He was telling certain family members certain things. And so for, for viewers or listeners, I think it's important to know that people do tend to hide away some of this stuff so that we don't know what's going on. And so for me as a self-identified control freak, I feel like that's why I, partly I went into the profession of how do I help others? I couldn't help him. I was 17. And now it's like, what can I notice? How can I have some sense of control? Because there's such a loss of sense of control with suicide. There is, there is. And so that's, that's, that's lovely that you're helping so many people and that helps your sense of control. Um, what I also want to know is just the everyday. Um, there, there are days where we can all, with our mental health, just spot the signs that something's not right. So what do you do for yourself on the everyday when you feel the pains coming back? Yeah, I mean, I think it's most significant around holidays and of course his death anniversary, which is true for a lot of lost survivors. And so when I'm working with other people, but also with myself, I'm just being mindful of like, oh, what's my mood like? What's the contributing factor? Do I know that we're getting close to that month that he died or we're getting close to a holiday that he should be here for? Um, so I think being gentle with ourselves is the first thing I always ask people to do. And I know it's easier said than done, but like, do you have control over your day? Do you get to say, I'm taking a mental health day today. I don't want to have anything on the schedule or I want healthy distraction. They can go either direction. Sometimes people want a day to just stay in bed and others want to be at work and feel like their brain is on some other topic. <laughs> just depends. Yeah, yeah definitely. And I, I love the, the fact that you've used the word of mental health day. So back in the 90s, when I first went to London, quite a few of the companies I dealt with and trained had what they called duvet days. So they were allocated three duvet days a year, each person, and it was a men mental health day, but we didn't call it that in the 90s. And it was literally <laughs> the employee could ring up and just say, I'm having my duvet day. Mm. And it actually decreased sickness, which is sickness rates, which is yes. amazing. And I'm just wondering, you know, organizations should be thinking about this again. We need our mental health days. There are some days where I just want to lie in bed all day. And mm -hmm. it's, it's really, really tricky, but we should, we've got to be kind to ourselves because we've been brought up on this treadmill that we can't stop. We right. can't stop. Well, so let's stop when we feel yeah. like it. 
And I think the youngest generation is keen into this, Claire. I mean, here in the U.S., we had a, a movement in 2019 where a bunch of young people said, I want to be able to have a mental health day from school. And it's not playing hooky. It's not having, you know, like avoiding something. It was really like the stress and the pressure of being a student right now yeah. is hard. And so they wanted to have that with no consequence or no penalty or no threat of uh, truancy here in the U.S. So it was really nice to see the youngest generation saying, this has value, and how do you help us do this? How do you support us with that? And, and I think that also it builds up this trust, the trust that people are going to be honest. Instead of, you know, truanting then from school, they're going to be honest. I just need a duvet day or a mental health day, whatever yes. you want to call it. So I do love that. So let's think about people in a similar situation to you, Cara. Um, what advice would you give someone if they came to you and said their story mm. and you realised it was a similar story to yours? What advice would you give them to, to get through the situation? You know, I think the first piece is having compassion of the vulnerability of telling our story. Um, I know that you and I both know that suicide is still stigmatised. There's a lot of judgment. There's a lot of internal narrative as to why it happened. And maybe we blame ourselves for not seeing the signs or not having a chance to intervene. And so I usually start there by saying there's only so much in your control and we have to give up some of that control to the person who made this choice out of significant pain is usually what's, what's the cause there. And so once I normalize some of that for them, then I really try and give them the facts of like, what is in our control? What do we know about suicide now? Because it continues to evolve, right? We know new things like depression and sleep disturbance and different factors that contribute and just help them understand what that means to them. So I, I use the phrase uh, suicide story, which I know is what we're calling some of the series here, because it really is more of a story now. It's not a one and done. You have thoughts, you have a plan, you have means. It's really about saying, how did you get here? How did you get to this deep, dark place? Mm -hmm. And by being comfortable going there, which I do a lot as a therapist, I think people feel relief of, oh, I can finally talk about this with no judgment and no risk of hospitalization. Mm -hmm. I can actually be me. Definitely. And it's opening up those conversations. And, you know, that's the reason why Mental Health Chats exists. If we can open up the conversations early, spot the signs early, the early intervention is going to help in right. every way so that there isn't that spiral down. And um, we've got a, a series of adverts over here that the Samaritans have put together. I'm not sure if they're in the US as well, but it's, it's um, all different ones about, one of them is called, um, it's a pity about the weather. Another one has a, a girl that actually talks to the people on the platform of the train station that she was about to take her life, but somebody stopped her thoughts down the track. Mm. So the weather one is going up to someone and say, oh, what do you think about the weather? If you see somebody who is in those deep thoughts, those dark thoughts, it's the interruption of those thoughts. And our next speaker um, for Mental Health Chats, Dylan Lewis, is going to talk about how that happened with him was about to take his life and somebody interrupted his thoughts so that's really good advice and it's very professional advice as well because we've got all different types of advice from different people so thank you very much um so you're a pretty amazing lady you you you've got <laughs> you. some you know promotions that you'd like to do of what you do so would you like to tell people about 
the work that you do other than the coaching. I mean, the coaching is amazing, but let's talk about the charity work as well. Absolutely. So we have a, a nonprofit here in Colorado that is called Cat Lively, and it's got the origins of the word of being fully and completely alive. That's what that word means. So it's a word we mesh together to have a, a mission behind it. Yeah. And so Cat Lively is about um, two and a half years old in this moment. And so it's a relatively young nonprofit focused on suicide prevention. But where I feel like it stands out here in the U.S. is we have different wonderful nonprofits focusing with youth and focusing with parents and community members. Mm. And we're actually focusing on the helpers. So we're doing trainings and providing tools to school professionals and to other mental health professionals who are coming to us saying, I don't feel prepared to have this conversation. Um, so similar to like mental health um, first aid, which is huge here. How do we give people the tools to feel like they can have this conversation in the first place? And the very professional level, we're saying, nope, can't do it. <laughs> and that's the training I do, actually. I do. And I really hone on the practical side of having the conversations because with a lot of the qualifications, um, you know, we talk about having the conversations, but not really what do I actually say. So right. thank you for that. It's fantastic. I'll put the link in for you. Um, and I've mentioned Dylan Lewis, who's our next guest. Um, he's actually from Australia. And so we've got people all over the world on this series. Very exciting. And um, he's going to be talking about, he is a suicide survivor. And he's going to be talking about the fact that he is so grateful he's still here. And he's journey his story of his ups and downs so thank you very much Cara for your time take Absolutely. care and best wishes thank you take care we hope you enjoyed the chat if you found any of the tips useful follow mental health chats thank you